0: After Justin Bieber teamed up with Tim Hortons to create Tim Beebs, he knew his job wasn't done. So he's bringing Tim Beebs back and pairing them with his delicious new French Vanilla Beebs brew, steeped for 16 hours. That's 16 long, pensive, dedicated hours. But hey, take it from Justin. It's worth the wait. Try my new French Vanilla Beebs brew for a limited time, only at Tim Hortons. Order it with your favorite Tim Beebs for the perfect pairing at participating U.S. restaurants while supplies last. We'll <music> Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Now, this episode will be a two-part episode, and we will be covering possibly one of the most famous events in British history, um, but also an event that is not very well um, spoken about, talked about, um, even taught in schools, Um, weird, weirdly considering we're going to be talking about the English Civil War. Now, when we talk about the English Civil War, the first thing you would think about is this is uh, the English uh, fighting each other, very similar to any other civil war that uh, we've seen throughout history, Spanish, French, American, etc. However, the English Civil War involves England, Scotland, Wales and Ireland. And it's basically called the English Civil War because the king, uh, in this, this instance, King Charles I, who is the son of James I, who was James the Sixth of Scotland, he met his end and he was king of England and at this time he was the second king ever to be king of what we would now know as the United Kingdom and Ireland. And I, I say and Ireland because obviously Ireland is now independent, barring Northern Ireland. So, it's a strange time and trust between the countries is not at the best. And what we're going to do in this episode is we're not going to delve too much into the battles. This episode is going to be a prelude to the next one and this one will give you a background to the english civil war and hopefully you will understand after this episode why things got to such a bloody end um, it's a very it's a very detailed history and this is why it will be a two episode up. it's a very important time in English history and something that like I said it's not very well taught it's not very well learnt in schools but to me it's something that should be learnt, and it should be very important because we learn a lot from the English Civil War so just a quick one before we get started on this episode because this is uh, like I said this episode will be more of an educational episode Um, the fun stuff really comes in the next episode but I do believe if you don't listen to this episode you will not understand the reasons behind the Civil War anyway, digressing a little bit what I would like to say is hello to Katie or Kate, sorry, it's Kate, not Katie Uh, welcome to the Patreon Um, I've noticed you've left uh, quite a few comments on some of the episodes on there um, i love that by the way guys um you know that that's fantastic because it means that i know you're you feel like your money is well spent if you're uh, if you're supporting the show and you're enjoying what you're listening to then i you know i really appreciate the comments on any episodes you know even if it's if it is on the on the normal podcasting um on this on the normal apps that you listen to i appreciate any you know, any feedback at all so, you know, thank you very much and, and welcome to Patreon and I know um, there's been a couple of comments on the last episode that was put on the Facebook group saying, uh, well worth the money um, again, really, really appreciate that because like I've said in in pretty much the last few episodes this uh, Patreon is what keeps me going really it's, uh, think of it as a tip for listening you know, and then not only are you tipping your podcast, though, you're getting a, a little bit of something back. Uh, if you're English, uh, that might not work because we we don't have a very good tipping culture in this country. Believe me, I'm a delivery driver. Uh, we we don't get very, we don't have a very good tipping culture at all in this country. So, um, but yeah, if if you feel like uh, like I said, like that's uh, something you would be interested in, get over to Patreon.com. This week in history, back to the story. So the English Civil War, similar to pretty much every civil war that's ever fought, is fought between two factions, and in the English Civil War in particular, you are talking about the Royalists and the Parliamentarians, which is essentially the Christians, I would say, the you know, because bearing in mind we're talking 17th century, so... The Church of England has been well established. So we're talking Church of England headed by the king versus parliamentarians who were pretty much what we would call Puritans. Okay, So there are two, yet again this is religion playing a part in war and this is something that we see in pretty much every war unfortunately. But this war in particular is divisive because a lot of people in different parts of the country supported either the royal family or they supported the puritan ideology and you could have your own father, brother uh, fighting against you in the war because of your political standing because at the end of the day we're talking politics here, This this is all political, it's not really religious you know, they both both religions follow a very similar line. The Reformation had already happened, so this is something. Again, I will do an episode um, about Martin Luther and the the Catholic Reformation. Um, that's not Martin Luther King, by the way. That's Martin Luther, the Reformate the the reformist. So, it's um, a very poignant topic. But anyway back to the story so the parliamentarians are the puritan side of things and they feel that although the reformation has happened it hasn't gone far enough as many of you are probably aware that catholicism is quite a decorative branch of christianity Uh, for starters obviously they they feel the pope is god's representative on earth whereas uh, after the reformation christians did not think that um and that was the first branch away from from catholicism then what they used to do was take the idols and the paintings and the stained glasses and all of the decorative side of catholicism was stripped down to its bare bones and basically tried to change the way the religion looked on the face of it because Anything that seemed Catholic was, you know, supposed to be evil. This was the the, the English or the, the Church of England and, and the, the new Christianity idea. However, they got to a certain point of removing things and they went, yeah, that's enough, that'll do. And the Puritans were, no, that's not far enough and no, that's not good enough. We need to move forward further and further away from Catholicism and you haven't moved far enough. So that was that was the original divide, which realistically, when we look back, is is pretty stupid. Um, you know, they're they're basically they are both branches of Christianity. Now the sectarian divide between Catholics and Protestants I can I can sort of understand. I don't agree with sectarianism. I certainly don't agree with violence in that in that aspect. But I can understand because the way that the worshiping is done is slightly different. I.e., the Church of England. The head of the Church of England is the Queen in this country. The head of the Catholic Church is the Pope. Um, you know, they they have different directions that they go. But this Puritan church of england thing they were essentially basically both the same they were both against catholicism and they were very very similar just you know the the church of england had decided that you know we'd gone they'd done enough to move away from catholicism and the puritans didn't think so so to me this was seemed a very very silly war however and, and I'm assuming you guys agree with that. That would be a very stupid reason to have a war. However, that isn't the only reason, and this is where the the, the it, it needs to be described in such a way that people actually understand the reasons behind the Civil War. Because what you learn in textbooks and what you will learn um, from similar things is that it was purely a Church of England. Uh, puritans or royalist parliamentarian divide Uh, there was a lot more to it so we'll delve into that england was very divided along this parliamentarian royalist divide but it wasn't just that that was causing the problems britain had gone through or england had gone through a long period of peace and prosperity since queen elizabeth there hadn't been very much unrest in the country the, probably the most unrest you would have been looking at in sort of between the end of uh, the Elizabethan era, era sorry, and the, the Tudor era um, and coming into James I and the Stuart era then probably the worst thing you'll be looking at there is probably, about, probably the gunpowder plot um, so realistically England had gone through a very very long period of peace and when there is a long period of peace The country progresses very, very well. And this is exactly what happened in England. The merchants and the the general working class had got slightly better and therefore decided that they were becoming more powerful and wanted a voice in Parliament. The way that Parliament was being run had changed rapidly over the the last few years to to keep up with the pace of growth from the renaissance period uh, and moving britain out of the civil uh, sorry the civil the medieval times into a more modern society so you had a, a group of people that were stuck in the dark ages who still were clinging to the old ways and you also had these groups of people that were moving forwards and trying to You know, push through peace and prosperity, but trying to move the country along at the same time. And when people get more powerful, they want to have a voice. And as we know throughout many, many times in history, and I'm thinking mainly back to 1776, when a group of people do not have a voice, then there is only really one option, and that is to force your voice upon people to make people listen and this is like I said 1776 this is exactly what happened in America in the in uh, the war of independence you know Britain weren't giving America a voice America went sod off you're not going to give us a voice we'll take our voice and we'll shout at you and that's exactly what happened and this is what was happening uh, during the English Civil War was was there was this period where with the prosperity and with people becoming more learned and more intellectual they wanted more of a say um, as to what was going on in the country um and realistically it probably wouldn't have been a bad thing however we had charles i as king and he was he was a different type of ruler and he was very sort of egotistical and enjoyed the power One thing that would surprise most people is you would think there would be a social divide in a class system. So, i.e. your upper class, your aristocracy would be more lenient towards the royalists and your parliamentarians would be the other way around. Unfortunately, there is no real social-economic divide when we're looking at the English Civil War. Because a lot of the aristocracy that were there because of their birthrights or because of the the land they'd been given by the king would back the king. Um, A lot of them would back the king but not actually believe what they were backing um, and therefore causing a conflict of interest. You had a lot of people who had... Uh, like I said, with the you know the expansion of industry and uh, the expansion of the the merchants and, and things like that, you had a lot of people who found themselves uh, very well off in a very uh, good position that were financially better off than the majority of the country, um, but fell completely on the Puritan Parliamentarian side of the English Civil War because they. They were self-made, you know, and what we would call nowadays a self-made millionaire. Um, they didn't back the king, they backed the parliament. And you'd also find um, your working class um, that would back back the king, and you would find your working class that would back the, the parliamentarian side as well. I mean, we briefly discussed it in in the previous episode Um in, in regards to Matthew Hopkins and uh, like I said he was from Suffolk um, which is the east coast of England more a uh, sort of southeast coast of England uh, well not not south it's is is basically what I describe as the bum of England so if you look at England there's a little bit that sticks out that looks like a bum that is Suffolk and Norfolk that's how I've always called it the bum of England um, I suppose technically, when you look at that that would make London the asshole, but we'll <laughs> we'll avoid that point but that that's how I've always described described Norfolk and Suffolk. so when you look at that part of England that was very very strict parliamentarian um you know side a lot of the a lot of London was also parliamentarian, obviously this is where Parliament was held, and a lot of the south coast um from Devon and across was also parliamentarium however your royalists so the north of England um, Yorkshire, Lancashire, Lincolnshire um, massive um, royalist basically the entire um, Welsh uh, countryside the entire country of Wales was also royalist Uh, Cornwall and uh, the south coast the south east coast of England was also royalist so it was you know, it was open to debate. Obviously there were areas there were people in those areas who believed either or um and there were also other areas that sort of flitted between parliamentarian and and uh, royalist but it was a very you couldn't really map it out because like I said you you, you know you weren't a hundred percent sure that your neighbour was not a royalist or was not a parliamentarian. You you didn't know you know people you didn't know who people were really you didn't know what they were what they believed in Um, and like I said there were times where um, dad would fight son on a battlefield or brothers fighting brothers on a battlefield and that would be they probably wouldn't have found out until until that day that their parents or their brothers or whatever had a completely different political view than what they did so as we can see quite clearly the fabrication of the British makeup was completely divided, and we didn't know who was who or who was backing what. The problem you had is any move by the parliamentarians to reform anything would have met a straight up backlash from the king. When you're talking about making a move, they had to know that the backing was there. If the backing wasn't there, their heads would end up on spikes. It was that simple. Yeah, treason still carried the death penalty. In fact, I believe Treason still carries the death penalty today in this country. It's the only thing that carries the death penalty. So, you know, the it's it's very serious. And they could only really move on the king if they knew that they were going to win. And the problem... That Charles the I had it was like I said he was a he was only the second king ever to rule England and Scotland he was also the ruler of Ireland as well but what's important to notice at this point is that Scotland and England and Ireland were completely separate countries. this wasn't like ruling Great Britain now where everything... Uh, from you know to do with northern ireland wales scotland and england all runs through parliament anything that happened in ireland happened in ireland anything that happened in scotland happened in scotland and england and wales were the same as well so he was actually the king of three completely different kingdoms and this causes a problem for any monarch who you know throughout history anybody who is a ruler of multiple Countries or multiple areas, they inevitably will see some sort of problem at some point because it's almost impossible to keep everybody happy in every aspect, especially when you're talking about other countries that you're not natively from. Now, obviously, Charles was natively, uh, you know, through his father from Scotland, um, but was born and raised in England and ascended to the English throne, was crowned in Westminster. So, you know, he, to all intents and purposes, just because his father was Scottish, he, he was, uh, he would have seen England as his number one priority. Um, and that's not always a good thing, especially when you're talking about, you know, having, having an entire country realistically not behind you um, which can quite easily happen if you prioritize one country over the other. Charles I was a complex king. He had a massive divine right, so he thought, to be king. You know, this was when, when the, the you know, kings and queens are crowned, it is by the grace of God and he believed to all intents and purposes that he was god's representative for this country and he was in charge this is the thing he was in charge you look back through through history and you look at kings and queens of the past it was whatever they said that's what happened and to an extent he was no different he believed that what he wanted and what he believed was right was right he he wasn't he wasn't necessarily a stupid king i don't think he was the type of king that put himself above everybody else he realized there were issues in the country he could see that there was growing support against him um or not necessarily against him but for a reform that would give parliament more power than what he had so he believed that what he was doing was running the country properly. And Parliament believed that what they were doing was running the country properly. And to an, to an extent, you can almost say that both Parliament and the King believed that they would be better running the country without the other. Whereas Obviously now we have a constitutional monarch who, to all intents and purposes, runs the country, but realistically sits in the background and is just a figurehead, and Parliament runs the country. Back then it was they were both fighting for that same bone, really. Just to give you an idea of the arrogance of King Charles in, in regards to Parliament... He actually wrote a letter addressed to them in 1626. It read, Remember that parliaments are altogether in my own power for their calling and dissolution. Therefore, as I find the fruits of them good or evil, they are to continue or not to be. And remember, if you persist in your errors, you make them greater and irreconcilable. Whereas if you do go on cheerfully to mend them, you will do yourselves honour and encourage me to go on with parliaments. So basically, he was a bit of a twat. He's turned around there in all intents and purposes and said, You are there because I'm putting you there and I am in charge of this country. And if I don't want a parliament, we don't have a parliament so either buck your ideas up and do what i tell you to do or i'll get rid of you and this is a right that royals still have in this country if the queen wanted to walk into parliament tomorrow she can dissolve parliament she can get rid of it and rule as her you know as a as herself now obviously we now know that realistically that would have so much ramifications that it wouldn't be a good idea and she she wouldn't do that. But um, 1626, it's a very different time. And, you know, when King Charles wanted Parliament to back his ideas or fund his projects and things like that, and they refused to do so, he was getting a bit more and more pissed off with Parliament. And in 1629, he actually walked in... And dissolved Parliament and decided to rule without them now this sounds a bit crazy really but this actually lasted from 1629 until 1640 so he ruled as a sole ruler of the country for 11 years the problem with the king ruling on his own and there being no Parliament is there is no platform for debate and therefore if you had a problem you could not voice that problem. With Parliament there, at least you can voice your opinion. It might not be listened to. You know, It's not always the case that whatever goes to Parliament actually benefits you, but at least you would be able to voice your opinion. With there no Parliament, you can't voice that opinion, and people become disenfranchised with what's going on in the country. The fact that they don't have a voice, the fact that they're not allowed... To voice an opinion that's different to what they're being told. And the simmering unrest that goes along with that. Not only that, if you do have a slightly different opinion or a slightly um, broader spectrum of ideas compared to the king, which normally you would have an outlay for, you now don't have an outlay you are seen as an enemy of the state. You are seen as against the king, um, and people were arrested for you know for simple things like freedom of speech. You know, being able to to say why is this not go? Why is the king doing this? And why is he why is he not recalled Parliament? Why is this not happened? Why is that not happened? Etc. Um, this became a, a common thing where people would would find themselves in prison for a simple misdemeanor or a simple um you know just saying the wrong thing essentially and when you add all of this fuel onto the fire you can really see how it's bubbling underneath and how it is it's ready to explode now it's important to realize because what i'm saying here would make you think god that you know people just hated the royals in the in the 17th century and that is not true that's not correct in any way shape or form people were disenfranchised with what was going on but they still believed in the king they still backed the king they still believed in having a royal family and having a monarch in and very much in you know had that respect in, in a way to to suggest that they wouldn't go after the king in fact what most puritans had a problem with was the people the king surrounded himself with and one of these was uh, wentworth the earl of strafford he was seen as quite an evil man by the by the the opposition he was seen as a man who was only there to benefit for himself um and he was seen as someone who if was removed Would cause, you know, a lot of. They would get a lot more done if he wasn't there, let's put it that way. Unfortunately, as what's happened in many times in history, the Earl of Stratford was the King's very good friend. Now, he was also in charge of Ireland, so he was the King's representative in Ireland and was dealing with Ireland during most of the 17th century and therefore was not really in England. However, what he did do while he was in Ireland was put together an Irish army. He returned to England in the 1630s and basically said to the king what he'd done in Ireland, explained the situation and, you know put forward the fact that he had created this irish army and they would be available to help if the king needed now this is all well and good um except for the fact that we had the irish rebellion um and that caused another problem for for king charles and king charles was actually um, forced to recall parliament in the, the late uh, 1630s. However, this didn't last very long. And the reason he did that was because there was a growing concern around the fact that these Puritans, as what we call Puritans, the parliamentarians, had doubts about the king himself because his wife was a French Catholic and it had came out that his wife was allowed to have her own priest and private Catholic ceremonies at the palace or, or wherever she was she was doing it. And this became a great concern because the British gentry and the British people had moved away from Catholicism, but yet the Queen of England was still allowed to practice. Um, now, obviously we know now from historical facts and things like that 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 marriage was probably purely based on an an alliance between England and France because you know as as we know England and France have always been enemies um and having a marriage connection was seemed to be a good idea um been very unrealistic ...for them to assume that she was going to change religion... ...however that alone would have caused... ...it It, it doesn't take much to, to spark a conspiracy... ...this is what I'm trying to say... ...I know I'm going around the houses a little bit... ...but that's what I'm trying to say... Is ...there was more and more problems... ...that Charles just wasn't noticing really... ...so Charles knows he's facing problems... ...and what he does... As he tries to reform the church. Unfortunately for Charles, he picks the wrong country to try and change, and he goes for Scotland, and he picks the Scottish church to change in what he feels is a good move. And he gets the Archbishop of Canterbury, William Lord, to write a Book of Common Prayer, for the scottish church the reform was to change the way the scottish worshipped now when you look at the english system at this time you had bishops and archbishops to sort of be in charge of a group of churches in scotland it was what was called presbyterian which means every church has its own basically his own congregation and there is nobody in charge of more than one church so what they tried to do was impose this british or this english idea onto the scottish church and there was a riot the scottish fought back this wasn't a riot like we see nowadays this was an entire country that took up arms and stuck the middle finger up to the English, and won basically. Um, there were two wars that went on during this time, uh, which was uh, 1639 and 1640, to which the English were humiliated and defeated both times. You know, the King Charles's army was beaten quite badly by the Scottish in both of these battles or both of these wars. They're known as the Bishop's Wars because of obviously the fact that the English were trying to impose bishops onto Scotland. The Scots defeated the English at Newburn and marched on and took Newcastle. Now, most of you have probably heard of Newcastle. It's one of the most famous cities in England and it had spent probably the last four or five hundred years maybe even longer than that defending the English line on the Scottish border in fact you can even go back to the Romans because Newcastle is not far from Hadrian's Wall so you can even go back a thousand years, Newcastle had never fallen into the hands of the Scottish until 1640 and you know whatever way you look at it that's pretty embarrassing for King Charles to add to Charles's embarrassment, he'd run out of money and he couldn't afford to pay his soldiers. So, the soldiers that had fought for him and lost, he now couldn't pay, which meant he couldn't raise an army to take Newcastle back. So, he had to surrender to the Scottish and listen to the terms that they wanted. And this is quite embarrassing for an English king to have to bend the knee to these Scottish rebels that had come down and taken one of the major cities in England. Charles was facing crisis and a lack of funds. He imposed monopolies across the merchant class to manufacture certain items, which meant that people were not very impressed with the fact that they couldn't, create the the products they wanted to people lost money because of this he imposed taxes um without the you know without really the knowledge of what he was doing um, the most famous one of these was called uh ship tax um where and that's ship S-H-I-P I kind of I've got an accent and some of you are probably laughing about that ship tax which was a tax on ships basically what it was for with britain being an island it was supposed to be um, on coastal towns only during times of war so what they would do is during times of war they would tax coastal towns a little bit more so that they could build their defenses and repel any enemies or at least put money into the navy to protect british shores the ship tax that charles imposed was countrywide and not during war so it was met with quite a lot of backlash you know if you a lot of people didn't live by the sea purely because of this tax especially when you're talking um you know back in in times where britain was under attack quite regularly this tax would be quite common now obviously they didn't want this that's why they moved away and now they're being taxed for it even though they're not by coastal towns so it's a strange thing to be doing and it got a lot of backlash and there's a reason why the 11 year period that parliament was not there was known as the 11 year tyranny in other words a dictator because that's essentially what he was so clearly, Charles can't raise money. And this was 19, uh, sorry, 19, 1639, during the First Bishops' War. Now, Parliament is called during wartime. It's called to raise money for war. 1639 is the first time that England had gone to war without calling Parliament. Charles failed to raise the money himself for the war, and therefore, in 1640 he recalls Parliament after 11 years this is to basically to fund the second war in Scotland problem with this is Parliament has got its own problems it's had 11 years of Charles running things and it has questions and things that it wants answered before they decide to put money in the pockets of the king so, they're not going to fund his war in 1640. This parliament was known as the Short Parliament because, having recalled them in sort of March 1640, he boots them out in May 1640 and says, You're not going to help me? Go away. Nothing to do with you then. So, parliament came back, but not for very long. Unfortunately for Charles, he lost the Second War. And had to recall Parliament again in November 1640. Now, when Parliament's come back a second time, they've realised that they can actually do a little bit more than what they did last time because not only has he failed once and then told them to get lost, he's now failed a second time. He is dependent on Parliament, which means Parliament Parliament's list of things that they want sorted out has now got even longer because they now know they can push the king a little bit further because he's failed. Parliament came back with a list of demands like I said and some of these were pretty pretty hefty. Um the main one that you would imagine they would do was basically say that parliament could not be kicked out unless parliament agreed to kick parliament out which is never going to happen so it had to be voted upon for parliament to be dissolved ever again basically taking the power completely away from the king they also got rid of things like the ship tax or ship money they got rid of that and they removed a lot of the power from the king so you can see now how they've got their power you know they've they they know they've got the king in the palm of their hands and they can pretty much within reason ask for whatever they want and like I said earlier in the show Parliament didn't have an issue per se with the king they didn't like his advisors so as soon as Parliament reconvened in November they took the Earl of Stratford and put him in the Tower of London and the following month Archbishop Lord joined him there the parliament was chipping away at the king's closest allies and the following year 1641 uh, thomas wentworth the earl of strafford was put on trial for treason now he was sentenced for treason sentenced to death this order had to be signed by the king he cannot they cannot um commit Um, an execution without the king's signature obviously the king is extremely reluctant to to sign this legislation he barters with them uh, asks for um, different punishments uh, imprisonment or banishment or something like that exile um, but not death you know this is his friend he doesn't want to see him doesn't want to see him killed with growing contempt for the earl of strafford in london and riots and people protesting and wanting this man killed the king finally gives way and signs to have his friend executed and uh, in may 1641 uh, thomas wentworth the earl of strafford is executed the end of the year, 1641, Parliament put a list of 201 objections that they have on the King on his desk. This is known as the Grand Remonstrance. Okay, This is something that was debated in Parliament and put together and then issued to the King. Now, it's a long list and I'm not going to go through it. But there are a lot of things on there that they did not like about the king's rule. When he was in charge, his absolute monarchism, they didn't like. And these were issues that they had. Now, as many things in Parliament, they are widely debated before they leave. They're also voted upon. And once they are voted upon, should the winning majority win, then it then is passed on so in essence it's debated and voted upon and they're expecting this to go through with massive massive majority however the grand remonstrance only passes through by 11 votes and this is because there are a lot of people in parliament who still support the king and now the King has a little bit of backing in Parliament. Might not be all of Parliament, might not be the majority of Parliament, but it's a, a damn big chunk. So we now have a certain division in Parliament that some will back the Parliament and some will still back the King, even though they've gone through 11 years of crap and they've witnessed some really shit kingship um, really bad leadership they will still back the king because they are still royalists and me being a royalist myself i can sympathize with that point of view so the debates carry on for months and there is like i said there's this clear divide in 1641 And I'm assuming some of you guys will know about this. This is the start of the Irish Rebellion in 1641. And Ireland didn't just go gently into rebellion. They blew up. They went from zero to a million overnight. Um, And yeah, it caused more and more issues for the English that were there. The Irish Rebellion started because of political and religious impositions that were forced upon the Irish people so Ireland was and still is a Catholic country and with the imposition of the British or the English over there forcing their way on the population um, basically conquer and commanding the Irish people and essentially enforcing things on them that they weren't happy with much like the scottish rebellion um, to the reform of the scottish church the irish had similar reasons to rebel on the basis that they believed that their catholic church was being threatened and yeah i that's that's pretty much the gist of it. it it blew up into an absolute Massacre of rebellion to which the English had no choice but to try and put the rebellion down and the only way to do that would have been to send an army to Ireland to put that that rebellion down and the reasons behind it are because a lot of English a lot of Protestants had moved over to Ireland for entrepreneuring ventures so not necessarily to control the irish people or for anything like that it was more on the basis that they could make money and obviously with money comes power and with power comes greed and it escalated from there to a point where the irish had had enough so who was going to lead this army is the king going to lead his royal army into Ireland can he be trusted not to go over there, win and come back and use this army to kick parliament out again probably not the trust wasn't there also, if the king's not at the head of the royal army then is it really a royal army so who's going to lead the army if it's not the king again, that's that's not really heard of is it So, neither side trusted each other to run the army. The following year, the king walks into parliament and tries to arrest five leading members of the opposition party for treason. All five of which were well aware that this was coming and had already fled. So, the king walks into parliament creates this massive spectacle that he's going to arrest these five men and they're not even there. So he's kind of embarrassed and he's made to look a bit of a fool. There's growing concern in London right now of what's going on. A militia has formed in the capital. People who are coming to support the opposition, who have come with more numbers and more guns than the king has. The Royal Guard are outnumbered, they're outgunned, And the king is forced to flee London on the 10th of January, 1642. Later that day, the five men that the king was supposed to arrest return to Parliament and pretty much embarrass the shit out of the king. The king fled to York. Uh, He initially fled to Hampton Court, which is just outside of London, to the west of London, and then fled to York, which was a royalist stronghold but it's a long way from the capital without the king in London you have the royalist backers in parliament still there, but with no voice now, no one's going to listen to them, they can't say anything they're outnumbered, they're outgunned they're out everything they don't have the one thing sat behind them with all power which is the king at the end of the day the king can walk into parliament and arrest five men put them on trial and behead them overnight if he wanted to but clearly they don't have that power now these guys are pretty much silenced in parliament on april the 23rd 1642 saint george's day the king sends his army from york to Hull, which isn't that far, Um, just on the Humber River, for anyone who's interested. And he sends them there to collect guns and ammunition, because that was where they stockpiled the guns and ammunition for the war in Scotland two years previously. However, they won't open the city gates. They won't let them in, so the king can't get through the city gates of Hull. To access this ammunition. The problem with this. Is now the city of Hull. Has left itself. Wide open. Should the king. Return to full absolute power. The government. The government. The government. In Hull. Are now. Pretty much. Done for treason. So. They've sort of laid their own. Coffin down almost. But. That doesn't make much difference, really. The country is heading to war. Neither the parliamentarians or the king have a massive army, and they spend the next few weeks and months recruiting up and down the country um, volunteers to join the armies. They offer them some sort of pay. um, They offer them food, water, places to sleep, To the point that around spring-summer of uh, 1642, each army has somewhere between 25 and 30,000 voluntary soldiers. On the 22nd of August, 1642, any hope of sorting this out through debate or no violent conflict was ended. The king raised his standard in Nottingham the English Civil War had finally begun. The King left Nottingham after raising his standard and showing he was ready for battle, and he moved to Shrewsbury, which is just on the border of Wales. He moved there because that he had a very good contingent of royal support there. And in September 1642, the first battle took place at Powick Bridge which is just south east of Shrewsbury. Now it wasn't a big battle, it was roughly 2,000 men uh, took the field um, but it did claim 150 lives. After the battle, uh, Prince Rupert of the Rhine, who is the nephew of uh, King Charles, rode back to Shrewsbury and the parliamentarians took the city of Worcester which is slightly closer to Shrewsbury than where they were at the battle. Both armies were now closer together in the county of Warwickshire. They were close, they were ready, and the first major field battle was about to take place in October 1642 at Edge Hill. And if you want to know more about that, you'll have to join me next week. And See what happens or what happened not happens. This has already happened Maybe you already know what's happened Maybe you know more about the english civil war than you think you do but nonetheless We now know the reasons why it came to such an escalation in england why it got to a point where There was no return Why the king was put up against his own people Why a parliament that had backed the royals for hundreds of years had now turned its back on the royal system. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed at least part one of the English Civil War and I hope you join me for part two. Hopefully next week, touch wood, we have no problems. We'll be recording this episode next week for you. So let me know what you thought. Let me know what you think of this episode. Let me know if you like the fact that it's been left on a cliffhanger. Uh, You know, I'm hoping that this draws people in for next week and we keep the numbers up. Um, But yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's very interesting, the English Civil War. And I hope that you guys have learned something from this. And I hope you're eager to listen next week. If you are interested in patreon i say it every week get yourselves over to patreon.com support me tip me enjoy what you get extra over there um, still haven't heard anything from itunes yet in regards to apple subscription so as soon as i hear anything in regards to that i shall let you guys know but thanks for listening and remember we all have history make yours great see you next week bye <laughs> the world is always on but you shouldn't be put junk sleep to bed at mattress firm's black friday now sale save up to 60 percent on sealy with queen mattresses starting at 279.99 talk to a sleep expert today and unjunk your sleep coverage from progressive casualty insurance company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms bundle discount not available in all states or situations finding the right person for the job isn't easy just ask someone who hired a drama coach to be an it guy yeah i'm having trouble logging in i'm not buying it say it again this time with feeling i can't log in come on man i want to feel your struggle but if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Now, like your life depends on it. I can't log in. Yes, we'll make an actor out of you yet. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com local today. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a drama coach to be an IT guy. Yeah, I'm having trouble logging in. I'm not buying it. Say it again. This time with feeling. I can't log in? Come on, man. I want to feel your struggle. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Now, like your life depends on it. I can't log in. Yes, we'll make an actor out of you yet. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com local today.